Latrissa has got something to share with us this morning. It is uh, it is Mission Sunday morning, and uh, we appreciate uh, everyone's attention to missions. And she has got some news that is worthy of a praise unto the Lord this morning. I'm so happy, so very happy. I'm so happy, 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 happy. I'm so happy, so very happy that Jesus is a friend of mine. Good morning. I have a reason to be happy. You know, we had a goal of $3,000 for the global outreach. We made it. And we went over by $1,600. So we have $4,600 to spread the gospel around the world. Isn't that awesome? Amen. That's good. Because you have the vision for ministry and for missions. Many missionaries are going to be able to stand, stay on the field if their uh, account gets too low. But also, that money is going to stay here in the United States to plant churches, to uh, open fields of ministry, like in Montana, Wyoming, yes. New York, Chicago, and right here in West Virginia. Yes. Be- because when you give to the Lord, you put legs to your money, and your money turns into ministry. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. And we... Uh... We would just appreciate it so much, uh, you know, as the pastor, and uh, and I always include my wife because I couldn't do any of this without her. I need Jesus first, I need her second, and then I, ne- I need you all third. Uh, and But thank you so much for giving. God's just going to bless tremendously uh, throughout the ministries that that global offering is going to provide. And, uh, you know, we may not ever see the reward this side of heaven. Uh, I don't know how we exactly know about it and what capacity when we get there. But I know God is faithful to reward those who diligently seek Him. Uh, how many of you all in the room were, uh, were living prior to 1975? A few of you. There's a few of you that came along after 75. If you came along after 1975, this is probably not going to be too familiar with you. It could be, but hopefully this clip, we haven't proof, we didn't get a chance to proof it, but hopefully it's going to run. So if you'll go ahead and run this clip for me, Miss Lizzie, give it a try. That's worth the wait. Amen. Some of y'all remember that. That's an old commercial. It goes back, I think, to the mid-70s, somewhere or mid to late 70s. And that that was an old rock song, uh, Bette Midler. Is that right? I think. Uh, and uh, it was Anticipation. And it was used, uh, it, was a, it was actually a, sort of a love romance song, but it was used in that commercial. 
this morning, I want to welcome you to the voice of praise once more time, one more time. But I want to share with you a little bit of, of a story, if you would. This story, in thinking along the lines of anticipation, was about a, it's about a boy that had a burning desire, and I brought this to a very modernistic, or tried to bring it to a modernistic, modernistic standpoint, or, uh, circumstance, if you would. It's about a little boy, and that little boy was wanting a watch for Christmas. Now, when I was a little boy, I wanted me a Mickey Mouse watch. Nowadays, little boys and little girls want eye watches. So it's the story about a little boy that wanted him a new eye watch for Christmas. We know Christmas is just around the corner. Every day, he would ask his mom and dad about, am I going to get my eye watch? Is Santa going to bring me an eye watch? And I really need an eye watch really, really bad. That's that's what our grandson says to us when he's got something he wants. He says, I really need this really, really bad. You know, I really... This little boy needed his eye watch really, really bad. Dad, can I please get an eye watch? Mom, can I please have an eye watch? Every time he opened his mouth, he was asking or talking about an eye watch for Christmas. Finally, one morning over breakfast, uh, in a December Saturday morning, leading up to Christmas, this dad was fed up. He had had enough. Anybody, any dads ever been able to say that? Amen. You know. Dad was fed up hearing about that eye watch. And he told his son, he said, if you mention an eye watch one more time, he said, you can forget about it. The young man kept quiet the rest of the day. He was anxious. He was really wanting that eye watch bad. But he kept his mouth shut until supper time. And at supper time every night, this family gathered around the the dinner table, the supper table. And as they gathered around, it was the tradition of this family. Not only did they say grace or return thanks before they had their meal, but it was responsibility of every family member to, to uh, once in every meal to recite a scripture. So this little boy that was so anxious for his eye watch, it was his night to, to recite the scripture over the supper table. And dad said, all right, son, go ahead and bring us your scripture for tonight. The little boy said, Dad, I'd like to share Mark 13 and 37. And he boldly proclaimed, And what I say unto you, I say unto all, Watch. <laughs> you see, it was anticipation that, that, that was eating away at that young man. And it's anticipation that... Uh, we often deal with in this time of year. In spite of, of claims, many claims that are made in this post-Christian America, and you realize, I think, we are in a post-Christian America. And what that means right now in the United States of America, it means there's more people that deny Christianity than there are people that profess Christianity. In fact, in, in, in the United States of America right now, I think it is, uh, it's 2030, 2030, somewhere between 2030 and 2035. If, if the president, and I'm, I'm not trying to discourage you with this, but if the present rate of decline continues in Christianity, but the present rate of 
the Muslim faith increasing in America by the time we get to the mid the mid 2030s which is just a little bit more than 10 years from now the Muslim population will exceed the Christian population in America if Jesus tarries he's coming that long you see so we're living in a post Christian society but in spite of that in spite of that, according to the Pew Research, which is one of the greatest resources uh, that a preacher or even a Christian can have, if you go to the Pew Research, that you find out that 90% of all Americans, regardless of what they consider their faith background or even if they're agnostic or atheist, 90% of Americans will celebrate or at least acknowledge in some way the Christmas season. Let me tell you something. It's, it is aggravating. I got, I, I, I got ill the other day putting up Christmas lights, didn't I, Sister Sarah? Pre, the pre- preachers get ill sometimes too. And I don't mean sick. Okay? You plug in all of those lights. You get them all, they're all working, and you say, now they're all working, we're going to go ahead and put them up. And you throw that big ladder up against the house, and your darling little wife helps you throw that big ladder up against the house. And you get the lights up on the side of the house, and you come down, and you put the ladder away, and, and everything, and you come back, and you walk around the house, and half of those lights are no longer burning. And you look at your wife, and you said, why didn't you tell me half of the lights were out? And she said, well, well, honey, I didn't see him. Sometimes Christmas can get frustrating. But in spite of, of the frustration sometimes that we create in our own being, if you would, in our own circumstance of Christmas, people still acknowledge Christmas. How can you acknowledge Christmas and leave Christ out? It's beyond me. It's beyond me. In reality, most people don't. 88.7 of those people that will celebrate Christmas, 88.7% of that 90% will celebrate Christmas by exchanging gifts. The giving and receiving of gifts. Anticipation. Anticipation. You know, Sarah and I, we're of that age, you know, we... You know, and I, I don't mean to sound braggadocious in saying this, but if we need something or we want something, most most of the time, not all the time, but if it's within our means, we just go ahead and get it. So, I, with that being said, I haven't bought her a thing for Christmas because I don't know what she wants. I really don't know what she needs. Of course, she has me, so what more she could she want, right? Yeah, huh? Yeah. You know, we're just at that age, you know, we're just there. And lots, some of you in this room are smiling and shaking your heads. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you watching live stream, you you understand, you get it with me. But, but, but yet, I know somewhere along the way, I am going to get a present. And when I get that present, I can promise you this, I'm going to be anxious to see what is in that present. I know my little loving darling Loving wife is going to buy me some kind of present, even though I don't need anything. She's going to get me something, and I know it's going to happen, and I'm I'm anxious to know what it is. You see, it's anticipation. It's anticipation that happens. So, 
the survey goes on and when you, the Pew Research Council, and it says that most people, most of that 87 or 88.7% of people that exchange gifts, they're going to open their gifts on Christmas morning before they even eat breakfast. And you can look at some of us in this room and know that eating is pretty important to us. But we're going to open our presents even before we eat breakfast on Sunday morning or Christmas morning. So it's all the work of anticipation. Anticipation is the act of expecting something. It's the act of expecting something. We get anxious. We're wanting it to happen. We're wanting it to happen. That ketchup company we showed you the video clip from, uh, it was all about that little boy was anxious for that thick red ketchup to come out of that bottle on his hamburger. Anticipation, the lyric said. Anticipation. It's making me late and it's keeping me waiting. For kids, whether they're six, six months, sixty, six years, whatever, for all of us kids, it's the anticipation of what's going to be under that tree, even if you don't have a tree. What's concealed beneath bows and, and shiny wrapping paper. And I had my wife buy some wrapping paper with old trucks on it a, a few days ago. Because, you know, I know that's what she's going to wrap my present that she's not supposed to be buying me in. And then I'm going to get all anxious to know what's there. And I'm going to have our anticipation's going to be all, all up. And she's going to have me open it on... Uh, Christmas morning and she knows when I open it and I'm going to be so excited and I'm going to give her sugars. You know, it's alright to still do that even when you're 60 years old. You know, some of you, some of you older guys in this room, you know, if, if you got that wife or a significant other, you know, uh, go ahead and try giving them sugars every once in a while. It's good. It works for you. It'll work every time, I promise. For the dads and moms and like us, the grandparents, it's the anticipation of seeing those surprise faces. We're looking forward to it. It's building. It will continue to build. And, and all of a sudden, one day you forget about the frustration. You'll forget about the lights not working. You'll forget about the ladder falling over. You'll forget all of that. You'll forget about tripping over all of the lights that you just put up around the yard and tearing them all down. You'll forget about all that. You'll forget about going to Beckley last night after the parade just to buy a Christmas present and getting home at 9 o'clock last night. You'll forget about all of that stuff. Because the anticipation comes to fruition, if you would. I want you to go with me, if you would, as I preach to you a message about the anticipation of Christmas. I want you to go to Luke chapter 2 with me. It's a very familiar story. There's two accounts of the Christmas story, Luke and Matthew. And we're going to use Luke's story this morning, at least in part. Luke chapter 2. And the scripture said that so... Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth into Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who he was pledged to be married, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and 
place him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel and angel of the Lord appeared unto them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, I bring to you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you and you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. I want to preach to you with that thought in mind, the anticipation of Christmas. Now there was there was probably not a lot of anticipation on that first Christmas, to be frank with you. There was by just a few, but not by very many. There there was no cameras and videos. There certainly were no cell phones. You know, if Jesus had been born uh, uh, in this day and time, somebody would have had it on Facebook Live, just like we are this morning. It would have been on Instagram. Somebody would have been tweeting. And uh, somebody would have been uh, tick-tocking and, some, and, and everything else that's out there to do. Somebody would have been... But there, there was no... In, in fact, it was probably a very lonely night for Joseph and Mary as they were making their journey. And it was getting late. And no doubt she knew her time to, to give birth was coming uh, very close. She, uh, she was a woman in the flesh and she was probably having contractions. And she was having pain birthing pains and all of those things that are associated with it. It was probably lonely. It was probably a, a very difficult night to say the most or to say the least. They were on their own. Yet you can't help but think and believe that there was some anticipation that this is the very night that our baby is going to be born. This baby that is more than just our baby, it was the baby that has been given by, by, by God, by the Father. It's been, um, it was this Mary that, Mary, it's not Joseph's child, but it's Mary is carrying the child of conceived by the Holy Ghost. There probably was some anticipation by Simeon as we read Simeon's story we know that Simeon Simeon sensed and Simeon knew something great was happening on that night but for most of the population in Bethlehem a quaint still even today it's a quaint city that sits up on the side of a hill in a desert location and there there were no luxuries like we have today at, at all by any means Probably nobody even knew other than the innkeeper that Joseph and Mary had arrived in town. And he didn't know who they were. He just knew it was some guy and he, and, and this lady he's with is pregnant and she's about to have a baby and I don't have any place for him to stay so I at least told him to go down to the stable. So there was probably not a lot of anticipation in that moment. But then along comes a, an angel. 
and and shepherds were out in that desert and outside of the city on the hillsides of Judea and they're they're there leading their flocks and as they're they're out there with their flocks of sheep this angel appears to them and gives them the announcement and suddenly they take the word of the angel and suddenly the anticipations of the of the shepherds begin to build so great and so strong that they begin to to move their flocks back into the town to see and behold the good news that's been given to, to them. But I have a question for you this morning. Joseph and Mary had an anticipation of Christ. Simeon had an anticipation. And then we find because of the announcement being made that some shepherds begin to have an anticipation. But do we have an anticipation of Christ? We, needless to say, we get, we get excited about our presence. We get excited about, if it's not our presence, our, our kids or our grandkids' presence. We get excited about having all the family home for Christmas or having them all over for Christmas Day. But, but are we anxious or do we have an anticipation to have an encounter with Jesus? Is my question this morning. See, like the children waiting on their Christmas gifts are we waiting on the good things that Christ has to give us. Because He has good gifts. And you know, the good gifts that Jesus has for us far exceed the gifts that we could ever give our children. In fact, the Scripture relates to that. This morning, I, I want to encourage you to anticipate the good gifts that God has for you. More than you're anticipating what's going to happen in, uh, what, two and a half weeks from, from now. More than anticipating, and, and you may already know what you're getting. You may already have picked it out and just told your husband to wrap it for you. You may have already went and bought that new purse, or you may have already went and bought those new shoes, or you may have already went and bought that new piece of jewelry, and you just took it home and told your husband to wrap it up for you, but you're still anxious for it. But I, I want to encourage us this morning to anticipate these good gifts that Christ has given to us. And here's why. He said, listen, he said, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I want you to understand, when God spoke to Jeremiah, He was spoken to a man that was broken. He was speaking to a man that was, if you would, he was discouraged and he was downtrodden. He was known as the weeping prophet. This was a man that was having difficulties. He was having struggles in life. But Jesus declares to him back then through the working of the Holy Spirit, He God reveals Himself to him. He said, for I know the plans I have for you, Lord. He said, my plans are to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and give you a future. Listen, I hope that this morning you are anticipating the good things that God has for you. I hope that you're anticipating the future that He has for you because His future for every one of us in this room is for us to prosper. 
Maybe not in the way that you think you should prosper. You may not never have a new Escalade. You may not ever get that new bass boat. You may not ever get that three carat diamond ring ladies. But let me tell you something. God has got good things for you. He is prepared to make you prosper. He is prepared to take care of you. And he's done that. All that his kingdom will be glorified. He went on to say this. He said, Paul said in to his letter to the church at Ephesus, he said, for we are God's handiwork. We're created in him to do good works, which God prepared, listen to this, God prepared in advance to do. Think about that. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know what? God has already prepared good things for us to do. We are God's handiwork. You know, years ago, my son, you know, he's 36 years old now, so it's hard for me to believe a young man like me has a middle-aged son. That's just remarkable to me. You know, I know I don't look much past 36 myself. You know, but but here's the thing about it is, is I remember my son and he had a shirt and it had a shirt when he was a little boy. It had this little guy on it and this little boy had chocolate all over his face and both hands up and he had chocolate over his hands and it said God don't make no junk and let me tell you something God does not make junk he did not make junk when he made you he did not make junk when he made me but we are intricately designed and created in his likeness and he did that in us in advance he knew what he wanted to do in our lives all he is asking us is to surrender ourselves to him and allow him to work in our life I am anxious to see I am anticipating what God is wanting to do in me I'm anticipating what God is wanting to do in you. If you don't believe it for yourself, just surrender everything you have to Him. Set back and hang on because you're going to be surprised what God wants to do in you. In fact, Paul went on to say in his letter to the, the, the first letter to the Corinthian church, he said, what no eye has seen, no ear is here, has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. Those are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. I, I want to tell you, what, what, what Paul is saying there, when he says, no eyes seen and no ears heard and no human mind is conceived. Paul's saying, your imagination, my imagination, and the, our, all of our imaginations put together cannot fathom what God has designed for us, what He has planned for us, what God has in store for us. Here's the thing about it. You may not see it all in this life. I may not see it all in this life. In fact, I am not, uh, I'm not anticipating it all to come to fruition in this life, but I believe because I believe there is a resurrection and I believe there is a hereafter that is purchased and sealed through the blood of Christ Jesus as it was shed on the cross of Calvary. I believe that this life is just a temporary circumstance that I'm in right now, but there is an eternity awaiting. And in that eternity, it is is complete and total bliss. 
this. It is more than utopia. It is everything I could ever need, ever need. It is everything I could ever want. It is everything that any of us could imagine because to be in that place is to be in the presence of God. And when we stand in the presence of God, there is nothing lacking because He says of Himself that He lacks nothing. There is no shortness found in Him. There is no slackness found in Him. God is full. God is complete. God is whole. And when we trust Him, we may not have everything that this life seemingly has to offer, but when we trust the Lord Jesus Christ and we anticipate what He has for us, we will inherit everything that He has for us. If not in this world, I certainly am confident that we will experience it in the world to come because He is God and there is a heaven and we can get there through and by the Lord Jesus Christ. So we anticipate the good gifts. We anticipate the good gifts. And what do the good gifts bring us? This is not a concise list. It's not a complete list. It's just a few things that I I felt that I would like to highlight for you this morning. As we anticipate the good gifts, the good gifts are going to bring us And I want to share three with you this morning. The first thing is the good gifts that God brings us is freedom from fear. Man, I I want to tell you something. There's different kinds of fear. There's different levels of fear. A number of years ago when Sarah and I were robbed while we were in the country of Mozambique and all of her ID was stolen. That's a long story. And uh, we were there with... She had no passport. She had nothing. Somebody had took a machete and cut through the grass hut that we were staying in. They moved us to another building. It was actually a, a block building. And so, so we would be safer. And I got thinking there laying in that building in the darkness of the night because there was no electricity. This thing has a grass roof on it. What's the difference in a grass, you know, sidewall and a grass? And, 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 and there was a fear there. I, I'm not going to kid you not. I was scared. You know, I was scared. I was afraid. I, that, that was a night I laid awake. I, I didn't have any anything, anything. Only thing I had, I think, I think I had my claw hammer out of my work where we were doing construction work, and I slept with my claw hammer underneath my pillow that night, if I remember right. But but there, that was a fear. But then there's other fear. But you know, there's fears that that are tormenting. There's fears that are ongoing torment. Man, if if the world has never known fear before, the world has known fear in these last nearly two years. Now, that doesn't say, I'm not saying the virus is not to be respected. I'm not saying it's not real. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that at all. I don't deny its existence and, and I don't dispute it at all. But here's the thing about it. But what I see, and, and if I, I remember, I remember back to that first message I preached when, when all of the pandemic came to the forefront, uh, coming up, I think March will be, uh, be the completion of two years. And, and, and I preached a message about how we, we have to be guarded not to let the fear overwhelm us. But there are a lot of people that are in fear. And I, and I think there's a difference between respect and of something and, and fearing it. There's a different difference there. And this message is not about the 
COVID pandemic. But, but, but what time before, and, and at least in our generations, have we never known a time? Maybe some of you were in the military. Maybe some of you have been under fire. You've been buried in a foxhole. Maybe some of you were, were shot down in a, in an airplane. You know, it's, it's not impossible at all in this room or for somebody listening. So we've all experienced fear, but we've all experienced fear in a different level this past couple of years. But I'm talking about a different fear. I'm talking about a fear, a fear of an accuser. You see, the, the Bible tells us that there is an accuser of the brethren. There's a, every single one of us in this room, every single person that will watch this by stream or video or listening by, listening by, uh, EV radio, every one of us has an accuser. He's constantly accusing us. He's constantly pointing his finger at us. His name is Satan. He's the devil. He, he, he is the one that's constant. He's the one that actually went before God. He went before God and said, hey, have, have you considered letting me have my way with Job? He was there. He wanted to accuse Job, but he, he couldn't find just reason to accuse Job. He, he, he's, it's overcoming the fear of the accuser. And then there's the overcoming the fear of others. You know, it was one of our great leaders of this country said there's nothing to fear but fear itself. And there's probably great a great amount of truth in that. But we overcome the fear of the accuser, overcoming the fear of other people's, what other people are going to say or what other people could do. And the scripture says don't fear the one that could that could that could kill us, but fear the one that could destroy both soul and body in hell. And it's and then there's the fear of overcoming ourselves. You know what? For many of us in this room, I, I dare say for most of us in this room, and most of you watching this morning, you, you know, our, sometimes our biggest opponent is not the devil. Sometimes our biggest opponent is not other people. Sometimes our biggest opponent is ourselves. Sometimes it, it, it's ourselves. It's dealing with ourselves. It's overcoming ourselves. It's overcoming our past. It's overcoming things in our life. It's overcoming strongholds that have us bound up. But when we anticipate the goodness of God, and we anticipate the good things that He has for us, and we anticipate the salvation of Jesus Christ, and, and, and it's freedom from fear. I have nothing to fear because Jesus has play, taken, taken my place. He has paid that price. And He did so, and He says He overcame the greatest of fears. And that's the fear of death, hell, and the grave. The greatest of fears. Death, hell, and the grave. The unknown. And then secondly, I want to leave you with this. Because I'm running out of time. I gotta hurry up. The second thing, when we, when we trust in the good gifts that God brings, is the perpetual peace that occurs in knowing God. Now I told you a while ago, I got ill with my Christmas lights. I got an aggro, you know, Christians don't get mad, they get like aggravated. And things like that, you know, we don't get mad because we're sanctified. You know, you know, we don't. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. It's like we don't go to the beach; we go to the coast. You know, because we Christians, we don't go to the beach. You know, we go to the coast. You know, uh, but that perpetual peace—it doesn't mean that every, suddenly everything is fixed in your life and nothing goes wrong. Sarah and I pulled off on the interstate just a few days ago as we uh, as we were driving down the interstate. The funeral procession for the 
police officer that had lost his life over in uh, uh, far southwest Virginia, Buchanan or Dickinson County, somewhere over in that area. He his funeral procession was coming down the the road, and and especially it being a police officer. I mean, they had the helicopter overhead. They had the and and especially being the, uh, because I'm a police officer dad, uh, I, I pulled the car over to the side of the interstate on Interstate 81. And when as soon as I got over on the side of the interstate, I heart started hearing something go. I said, told Sarah, I said, we just run something in a tire. And sure enough, we had. And I said, here I am. Doggone it, here I am being respectful, showing honor, and, and pulling over to the side of the road for this procession to go by. And lo and behold, and I had a big old rivet, big old pop rivet, this long had sliced all the way through. Non-repairable. And I was aggravated. Sanctified. Yeah. I was angry and sin not what I was, you know. But, but the reality of it is, but everything's not going to be fixed in your life when you come to Jesus. But when you come to Jesus, Jesus will give you peace amidst your circumstances. He will give you peace amidst your circumstances. He will give you peace when the storms of life are going on. In fact, this is what, this is what the Lord said. He said, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So it's a kind of peace that comes when you in the middle of the fiery furnace. When you knew the guys that just threw you into the furnace were just burnt to a crisp when they opened the mouth of the furnace. But you just got tossed in. It's the kind of peace that 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 you have when you're when you're in the lion's den and you're waiting for the gates to be drawn to turn these starving lions into the den to devour you. It's the kind of it's the kind of peace that you find in 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 your presence when the babies are sick or or, or mom or dad or they're in ICU or the day the the death angel you know is lurking by you've already called in hospice and and, and you know there's there's not been any uh, any food nor any nutrition nor any hydration in that body for days or perhaps weeks and you know death is drawing nigh it's a peace that comes into your circumstance when it seems like the circumstance is the worst. How do people get through it without Jesus? I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. Maybe they really don't. And then the second thing, or third thing, excuse me, is when you grab hold of the good gifts of God, you experience the joy of salvation. When we read the story, the Christmas story, the angel said, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Christmas to us is the season of joy. In fact, the the Lord declared it. He sent a messenger and declared it. 
that it was a time of joy. But it was actually a very, very bloody night. It was a very painful night for some. It was a night that went undetected for many, at least for a good while, in Bethlehem, in the city of David. But understand this, that the joy that God brings to us it, 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 it's it's a joy that comes into a sin-stained world. And, and the stains of our conscience and the mars of our soul, they, they can be overshadowed by the joy that God brings. Because in spite of my sin, in spite of the things that I've done, in spite of the, uh, of the judgment that I deserve, in spite of the punishment that I should have been given, there is a baby that was born into this world that lived and walked among men for some 33 years and he gave his life his life wasn't taken he gave his life on a cross he was spat upon he was he was beaten to the point of death but yet he gave his life for me and he loved me that much because it wasn't his guilt that was nailed to a cross because he didn't have any guilt but it was my guilt that was nailed to that cross so because of that I find joy even though yes I've miserably sinned even though I've miserably failed time and time and time and time again. I have nothing to fear because thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Understand with me, I have confidence in my relationship with Jesus Christ that He has good gifts and good things and He has good plans for me. And I worship Him and I praise him and though everything is not perfect I have joy in knowing I have salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ and it all started with that little baby being born in Bethlehem Matthew's account says this Matthew's account of the Jesus birth said and she shall bring forth a son And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You see, we're we're pretty powerful when it comes down to it. We're pretty powerful. Mankind is pretty powerful. We can do a lot of things. There's some people in the world that are more powerful than others. Before uh, this morning, early this morning, before any of you all got here, we praise team was here, and we were running through the songs, and we had a bad we had a bad cord up here that quit working, and you know, and I I, I just so so to prevent ever picking it up again, I wanted to destroy it, and I handed it to to Big Brennan back there, and I said, see if you can pull this apart with your bare hands. He wouldn't try it, and little old little old me. I grabbed that cord and I stretched it and I stretched it and it finally it broke. Then I handed it to him and he tried it. He just needed some confidence. He's, I know he thought, that little short, that little short senior citizen can do this, I can do it, you know. Brendan pulls it up, pulls it apart. He broke it again. But you know what? We're powerful. We're strong. We're mighty. We can do a lot of things. But there's one thing that we can't do. And that's we can't save ourselves from the debt of sin. Some of you paid your houses off 
a long time ago and, and you paid your cars off and, and you, you've got yourself out of debt and, and the Bible says that that's a good thing because the Bible said that, that the borrower is slave to the lender. But you may not have owed a bill for years in your life in this room. Some of you may be in debt up to your eyeballs and ears and I pray that you uh, check out Dave Ramsey. You know, check out his website online. Financial Peace University will help you tremendously. But this message is not about personal debt in the sense of money. But it is about every single one of us in this room has a debt. We have a sin debt. We had a sin debt that we couldn't take. You know, Scott back there, he's a banker. Scott, you hold a few notes on down at your bank, don't you? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. You... Scott holds a few notes. He probably holds notes on cars. He holds notes on houses. He probably holds some personal notes. He, he, he holds a lot of debt. That's part of banking. They use your money and my money to loan that money to other people to make money off of our money while we don't have any money off of our money much anymore because they don't pay any interest. Okay? But that's beside the point. But here's the thing about it though. Scott holds that note. Maybe he's holding a note. Let's say, let's say he's holding a note on, on brother AK. He's holding a note on AK and that note, that note's for $10,000. And I decide I'm going to go by and I'm going to take care of AK's debt one day. And I go by and I say, Scott, I want to pay AK's debt off. I want to pay his note off. Then a few days later, Mr. A.K. goes into the bank. Says, Scott, I'm here to pay on my note. I'm here to pay on my debt. Scott said, you don't have any debt. Sure I do. Scott says, no, you don't. He said, because somebody came in and paid the debt off for you. So we can't take any more money. Understand that every single one of us have that debt. Every single one of us has a sin debt. We had a debt. Remember that old chorus we used to sing about, I owed a debt I could not pay? You remember that from the 70s? You older ones? He paid a debt. Listen. Every single one of us owes something that we can't pay and it's a sin debt. But Jesus Christ, when He was nailed to that cross, He paid that debt and He paid it in full. And you can't go in and you can't add to it. You can't pay payments ahead. You can't do anything like that because it's paid in full. It's over. It's finished. But we just need to Receive the good gifts that God has for us. And how do we do that? We do that by seeking the greatest gift giver of all time. In this season of giving, Christmas season. 87 and over 87% of the people that acknowledge Christmas, which is 90% of our population, will exchange gifts in some capacity. We all know about gifts. We know how what it's like to give and what it's like to receive. But listen to what Jesus said. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks the door will be open. 
Which is you, if a man asks for bread, will give him a stone? If your son asks for bread, would you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others that you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. I want you to notice in the early, and those are the words of Jesus. But if you notice early, for he said, everyone, he said, if you will, he said, if you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open. Everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks will find. I want you to realize what he's saying to us there. That we must put forth an initiative. Don't ever believe a lie that you're automatically saved because of what Jesus did on the cross. Don't ever believe that lie. You must seek Him in faith. You must believe Him in faith. You're just not automatically saved. There requires some effort on our part. And that's to seek the face of the Lord. To knock on His door. To ask for what we need. And we say, Lord, I need my sin debt resolved. I need my sin debt written off. I know you've already took care of the, you paid the price. I just accept it and I thank you for taking care of that debt. You see, and when we get to that place and we begin to inherit what God has for us. And, and I hope this morning that you anticipate what God has for you. If you're here and you're saved, now, He has greater things for you and me than we've already experienced. Whether it's on this side of eternity or on the other side of eternity, I'm anticipating everything that God has for me. If you're in this room or if you're watching and listening, but you don't know Jesus, let me tell you something. You're missing so much. You're missing so much right now of what God has for you. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask you a question. In this room today, in this very room, are those of you that are watching my live stream, wherever you're at right now, I hope you're anticipating what God has for you. Far far beyond what you're anticipating getting for Christmas. I hope that you're anticipating that this babe that was born in a manger would grow into a man and would give his life freely in order that you could be saved and inherit all of the blessings of the Father. I hope that's what you anticipate. But if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you've you've backslidden upon Him and you need to be renewed today, if you'd slip your hand up real quickly and I won't embarrass you and I'd say, Pastor, pray for me this day. I need to renew my life. Or I need to get saved. I've never known Him. Is there one in this room that would slip a hand up? You may be watching this morning. Or later on in in the week, you may be going back and watching this broadcast. If you're unsaved, I want you to know this. All you have to do is seek Him. All you have to do is ask But the Bible teaches us to seek Him while He may be found. So don't put it off. If you're in this room, don't put it off.